Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts globally. And honestly, it's not because of me. It is because of my incredible guests. And I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game, and they come onto this show to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. Now, these are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with us the essence of peak performance. And my guest today is Paul R. Roscoe, the R stands for Roscoe, Paul Roscoe White, a retired 21-year Air Force veteran with over 1,500 hours as a tactical flight instructor in the F-15E, F-16, and F-35. He still teaches and mentors young fighter pilots as a civilian contract fighter pilot instructor and has also won multiple sports championships as a player and as a coach, and this is important, the reason I'm telling you that is because over the years he has studied and developed strategies to motivate people to be better versions of themselves using a fusion, a fusion of hard work, positive attitudes, and this is important, solid character traits. So listen, Paul, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I have your book on in front of me. We'll talk about that in a bit, but tell people about you. Thanks, Denise. I, I got to tell you that uh, I've I've bragged so much about being able to come on your podcast. When you and I had our 30-minute discovery call, that call ended up turning into way over 30 minutes. I felt like that conversation could have just kept flowing. Um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Thanks. Um, well, thank yeah, you. So I think you and nailed you're it. Right. You, I, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Are you on a no. cell phone, Paul? No, ma'am. Oh, we've got a little bit of a lag, a bit of a delay, so I'll have to be careful. But I've often said, and you just kind of reinforce something that I keep thinking I may need to start doing, is some of those pre-interviews are so amazing that I often wish we had just recorded that and called it good. So I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's something that I was talking about uh, with a couple of guys the other day, like finding that common ground or that common thread where you can just start a conversation and let that conversation kind of meander wherever it's going to go and, and don't put up any left or right boundaries really and just kind of let it flow. And that's the way I felt when I was talking with you that one day. And I mean, real talk, I was sitting in my truck. I didn't know what to expect. And then you and I started talking about all things, all kinds of things from jambalaya and gumbo to living in Louisiana and, and being Southern people and, and all, it was just a really fantastic conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here and your book is terrific. But, and we're going to talk about that a little bit down the road, but the book is called No New Lessons. And you're going to find out by listening to Paul right now how this book came about and really what it's all about. But it's called No New Lessons, a crazy story about relearning life lessons in Alaska's deadly wilderness. And the next question is, what could go wrong? Oh, my gosh. Everything could so go many wrong. Things. Uh, I'm telling you, and a lot of what and why you're here and why you wrote this book is, you know, like I said, the the 21-year Air Force veteran, you've got all these hours, 
you teach, you mentor, you've got a lot of life wisdom backed up here. And I think that's what you're here to share today. Well, I hope so. I hope we get to have some of those conversations. It, it sure is a lot of fun. And, and believe me, I, I consider myself super fortunate to have been able to have lived the life that I did because I grew up down south on a cotton farm between bouncing between Louisiana and Alabama. I call myself an Alabama boy because I spent more time there than anything. But to go from being a cotton farmer to where I'm sitting now, I just look back and I go, wow, what a ride. Holy crap. Some of the things that I've been able to go and see and do and and really, it's it's just kind of a mentality that I've always had, a little bit of an adventurous spirit, but just that mentality of looking at the horizon and kind of seeing what's next. And that's really what led us to being in Alaska and and going after this adventure that we did in the in the manner of which we did. It was just kind of a, a wild hair, and hey, let's go see what's over there, and you never know. Doreen, you're still doing this, so you're a coach and you're you're an instructor. But you're, really what I wanted to talk with you about, because this all leads into the story of the book, is the different things that you have learned and that you are teaching and sharing is goal setting, planning, decision making, win the battle of the wills. I love that one. I almost always will. But even when I'm you know, just arguing with myself, and I do that, because my mother used to say I should have been an attorney. I could sit in the middle of the fence and you know talk out of both sides of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she was being nice. I really don't. But, but sometimes, you know, you have to have those internal arguments, I think, where you win and you lose and you start laughing because, really, who's going to tell you off if you're not going to do it for yourself? But you're talking about and when chance encounters that change your victor, and I think that's as to the book, too. Yeah. So. When you when you came out of the, and I don't think you're, let me see if I understand correctly. You are working basically doing your own stuff now, right? You're not working for a corporation or anybody else other than, you know, what you're doing with the fighter pilot instruction, instructing. Now, that, yes, ma'am. That's, that's a good question. I, um, I still work for uh, a company. And I still teach. Uh, we're, we're contracted through the Air Force, so I, I still teach every day um, at a quote-unquote corporate job. Uh, but really my passion has always been uh, trying to find that aha moment in people. That's one of the reasons that I really love the job that I have now is I get to see that every single day on the young students that are coming through and with my – hopefully through my experience and and discussions that we have – impart a little bit of knowledge or f- just really just find a way to connect with an individual and have that individual kind of the light bulb go on. And, and that to me is just one of the most, it's more, one of the most rewarding feelings that I think anybody could ever get is knowing that you've had an impact on someone, you know, and I've through coaching football and, and doing this, uh, doing my job, I, I've had people five, six, 10 years later, down the road, come to me and go, hey, man, I remember that one time that you taught me this, and that just really changed things. That, to me, is one of the most rewarding things. All that said, what I'm, what I'm getting ready to go on is my own uh, – a new adventure here is I'm, gonna, I'm starting up uh, – my entrepreneurial spirit is, is gotten – I've gotten a little bit of the bug, and I'm going to get into more of a formal platform of sharing some of these stories through professional speaking – and one-on-one coaching and those kinds of things. And that's where the one of five project came from. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little while, but that's kind of where, where I'm at now. So for the meantime, I still do have the corporate pay the bills kind of job, but 
my side hustle is starting to gain some traction here. And, and I told my wife the other day, I said, you know what scares me the most about this? I'm scared to death that this is actually going to work. And then I'm going to have to make some real decisions <laughs> about how I'm going to move forward. Been there, done that. And I just realized how I managed to confuse myself because I knew, and I mentioned it, that you're a contract fighter pilot instructor, which, of course, is a job. But I'm also more familiar with you on the entrepreneurial end of what you do. So I managed to switch my brain off there for a second. Sorry (laughs) about that. It happens. It happens. It happens happens. a lot. It does. So when you're talking – and let's talk about your entrepreneurial work. Let's go down down there. I don't think we were really going to talk about it all that much, but it's my show. I can do whatever I want, right? I ain't scared. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. So what got you started? I mean, I have the book, and it's a – I'm telling you, this one of these books. I've got little stickies all over it. I'm going, you did what? What? (laughs) (laughs) I get that reaction a lot. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm glad you couldn't hear me, you know, when I was reading your book and making these exclamations out loud going, well, that was stupid. Oh. Yeah. No, it was. The young is being very much a girl. It's like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. Hey, let, let, me, let me tell you a little quick, just a really quick side story here. Yeah. So when I when I got the book to kind of a point to where I wasn't embarrassed about it and I was going to let some other people read it, kind of the beta reader phase, if you will, I sent it to my mom. And, and I know that my mom's a champion for me and she's going to kind of be an echo chamber, whatever. All right. But I wanted her to see the whole story. And I've told her this story. I've told her many different versions of this story. And and when I say versions, you either get the five-minute version or you get the 12-pack version. And I've told her some of these before, but she called me when she was done. She goes, oh, my God, I had no idea how dangerous this really was. And so even my own mother was completely shocked about some of the things that we did. And she goes, "What exactly your reaction? You did what? (laughs) (laughs) And, and yeah, I mean, I was saying it out loud. At one point, I kid you not, I was actually at my desk. And I was, you know, I had several books here that I'm reading and reviewing for my guests, and I was still in here, so I was reading it. And at one point, I said, "You have got to be insert word here kidding me." <laughs> and I scared one of the cats clean off the desk. He just he levitated and took off. Like, okay. Your cats are awesome, by the way. Loud. <laughs> Say what? I said your cats are awesome, by the way. Oh, they're hilarious. They really are. But and this was the vicar that did that, and he just he levitated. He was gone. <laughs> so, but That's great. it's a. I mean, the book is, and the and the way it's written. I, I think I wrote this, but either I took it off of somewhere. I didn't write this, but I copied it down. You're the author of No New Lessons: A True Story About the Pursuit of Happiness, Friendship, and Finding Humor in the Alaskan bush, and then further it says, if you love adventure, outdoor pursuits, or just need some fresh inspiration to keep pushing forward in your personal wilderness journey, this book is a must-read. I don't know who wrote that. I just put it into my, my notes, but whoever wrote it, good job. That's exactly yeah. how I read the story. I think that's a pretty good summation of, of the book, and, and something that I have alluded to recently was, I was really taken aback by some of the comments that I got back. You know, I I know that there's some central themes to the book. There's kind of some planning stuff, some decision-making or lack thereof. Um, And then there's the chance encounter thing, which, which, you know, we'll talk about that in a a minute. Um, But I was really taken back by some of the, 
the one-off comments, those, those kind of statistical outlier comments that I didn't think that people would pick up on. It's, it's amazing, you know, and I didn't anticipate when, when you put together a project like this, the level of impact that you're going to have on people who read it is really unique to that individual. And that's something I didn't anticipate. So there are people that have read this book that have given me comments back. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't even know that I wrote that. Or I definitely intend, didn't intend for it to land the way that it did. I'm glad that you took something away from it, but that was maybe not the intention or, or uh, an oversight or, or something like that. So that's been really pleasant for me to, to see some of the comments and get that feedback on the things that I didn't think were impactful in the book really landed hard on some other people. So it really is kind of an individual journey. When I talk about your, your own personal journey, everybody's on their own journey. Everybody's starting from a different place or coming from a different background or their environment is different. Their perception of the world is different. So you read things and you look at things through a different lens and, and through that lens, you're going to take away different lessons maybe than are what intended. You and I could read the same book back to back and you and I may take away different different big key themes from the book just based on our environment, our perception of the world. So that was, that exactly. was kind of neat. And another thing, and I, I'm sure people have noticed this, but look, I, I'm a voracious reader. I read everything, including the back of a cereal box, and I don't eat cereal. If that's all that's handy, I'll read the box. But I have books, and I'm sure we all do if we, if we like to read. I have books that we've read multiple times over time. Yeah. I mean, I've got books that I've read probably 10, 20 times over the years. Each time, I will take something away that was completely different than the last time I read it because I've changed. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I've changed. My attitude yeah. has changed. I've certainly gotten smarter, I hope, <laughs> wiser, I hope. You know, I mean, you're going to, you can read something the one time and then read it again and go, oh. Well, that's not what yeah, I but you know think. what, Denise? Though on a on a on a, I mean, you step back and take a big picture look at, at exactly what you're saying. Though, isn't that true in in just every facet of your life? Yeah, my it wife and I, be. we yes. yeah, we joke around all the time. My wife and I met when we were 20. We've been together for 26 years. We are not the same people that we were when we met. And and anybody that tells you that they're the same person 26 years later is either lying to you or they've led a really boring life. We've grown so much, and our perspective and our worldviews have just changed. You know that that perceptive lens that you view everything through it just changes over time as you increase knowledge or your awareness on things. As you read more, and then you go back to maybe that that book that you haven't read in ten years. Well, now you have a different perspective lens on that book, and you're yeah, you're going to take away something a little bit different. I I look back over the last shoot just after the last two or three years, and I can tell that there are things two or three years ago that I thought was really important that just really aren't important anymore. Absolutely. And this is one of the things that worries me right now on a tangent, but a different tangent, but social media seems to be getting more black and white, black and white, black and white. How about if everybody just takes a breath and revisits it later if it really bothers them and see what they think that time? Just stop getting so nasty on social media. Nothing is black and white. Yeah, it's it's very it's divisive if you choose to go into those circles. I'll admit that I sometimes I grab my popcorn and just sit there and read the comments, but I choose not to engage. My my view on things is everything's a choice. You know, winning is a choice, success is a choice. 
choosing whether or not you're going to engage in that kind of behavior that's going to reflect either either negatively or poorly on you as a person you know going back to the beginning when you're talking about character that's just something i choose not to engage with i i post and ghost i i try to put things up there that are going to motivate people to be better better versions of themselves with their own personal accountability and their own discipline and hopefully it resonates with some people but i'm i'm not going to engage in that kind of juvenile high school behavior no, I agree with you. Now, I do go to Reddit with my imaginary popcorn and <laughs> let my mean girl flag just fly. I don't comment, but I'm <laughs> laughing a lot. <laughs> hey, it's it's fun to read that, that out stuff. of my system. Yeah, I go, I go take a shower and go to bed or something. <laughs> but sometimes, and I go there a lot to just see how people are reacting to something that I've already reacted to internally for the most part and just see how very different we all think and it's a good way to remember that you know we're not we're not alone here there are a lot of people around us we better learn how to get along with them or if that's not possible stay away from them but you don't have to engage all the time no that you're 100 percent right but you know something else that i kind of i kind of read it with a, a little bit of a grain of salt because understand that i think just Overall, kind of across the board, people are generally non-confrontational. You know, you don't just walk into a room looking to pick a fight most of the time. There, there are some of us that do that from time to time. But generally speaking, people don't go out looking for an argument or looking for a fight. So when people are engaging in that and, and making some of those comments and you know doing what they're doing on there, it's kind of the keyboard warrior kind of mindset, whatever. It's, it's things that I – I would believe that they wouldn't say those types of things to a person's face. So I kind of read it with a grain of salt and, and just kind of move on. I try to do the same. And I've often said, listen, if anybody spoke to me the way I see some of these people speaking to other people online, I'd bloody their nose. I'd need bail money. <laughs> Seriously, I would be in trouble. I don't. And the keyboard warriors, I mean, you think you're anonymous. You're not. But, yeah, I guess it, I don't know. Whole nother topic. We may have to do another yeah. show. Okay, so there tell me why, why you wrote the book. So yeah, I, honestly, um, this sounds kind of weak, but my my wife had been after me to write this book to tell the story, and finally in 2019, so a full 10 years after the event, I sat down one day, opened up a blank Word document, and wrote down the timeline of the events. And then I just kind of started filling in the, the blanks. And before you know it, after about three years, I had a book. The reason I wrote the book was to tell the story so that me and the other two guys had the memory captured. And I tried to get as much detail in there as I could so that when we're old and senile, we can pass that down to our kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, whatever. You know, Be the cool guy at the old folks' home saying, look, I did something cool once upon a time. That's why I wrote the book, to be honest with you. But that makes sense. Listen, we, as a species, our stories, our history started with oral history, then it became written history, and what you're doing is maintaining your history and making sure that it's still there. Listen, my grandmother, we don't, thank goodness, don't have dementia running my family or Alzheimer's, thank goodness. I'm knocking on wood. I'm knocking on my head. Um... But my grandmother did get a little bit forgetful, you know, she, just not about a year or so before she passed. 
And I and she used to drive my mother crazy. My mother said, oh, God, here we go again. And she'd just leave the room. I wish now that I had recorded every bit of that because it's oral history. One of my favorite things is to sit down with some of the older veterans. Um, you know, whenever I meet them in, in an airport or at a football game or whatever, I, I, I love to hear those stories and those perspectives from our elder generations because – you know, those are life lessons. Those are that's what get pass, gets passed down. And if we forget our history, then we're going to mess up our future. You know, history predicts future, all that kind of stuff. But I love to hear those old stories and and the way that they look through things through their generational lens versus the way that we view things through ours. Sometimes they're vastly different. But when you get right down to it, man, there's 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 right and there's wrong. And a lot of times, those older guys and gals, they chose right. And they just did what they had to do. I mean, they were some of those were they were some hard generations back in the day. I, I love hearing those stories. I do too. And what I wanted to ask you about when you started with this book, with your with your, do I call them cohorts, silly buddies? What do you call them? Yeah. You guys were nuts. I mean, yeah. I'm going to call we, you the nuts guys. You can you can call us what we were. We were idiots. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I don't want to do that, but thank you for, for sharing. But when you started having these conversations, because, and I'll tell you why in a bit, because I'm wondering if your memories were different or you had to really do some digging because you said it's 10 years down the road. Did When you started, did you have any trouble going, oh, I don't remember that? There was a little bit, for sure. Um, we... We well, I, I you know I threw it out to them that I'm going to start writing this down, and and I don't honestly, I mean, and I'm not trying to speak ill of either one of those guys, but um, I think that they really didn't think that I was serious about it. To be honest, I I think that they thought that I was just going to write like a journal page on it or, or something like that. But um, we had done a decent enough job of taking pictures on our little cameras. And I don't think any of us had had smartphones at the time. So we had, you know, normal little flip phones. This was in 2009. So we had our, our little Canon SureShot um, cameras in our backpack. And we did a decent enough job of, of taking some pictures, taking routine pictures, and keeping a video diary every time we would stop or, or meet kind of a significant obstacle or something like that. So when I was able to put those pictures and videos in timeline order – that really started to fill in the blanks and it kind of took me back to that place and generated new memories or, or brought back those old memories. And I was able to really piece it together. And then kind of the writing piece of it, just painting the picture of what Alaska looks like, what the rivers look like, those kinds of things. It was a little bit easier having that. No kidding. Here's a snapshot in front of me, or here's a, here's a video of a river flowing and it kind of took me back to that place. So with, with some exceptions, there was there was enough video and picture evidence to recreate the story. And then between the three of us, we were able to kind of fill in the finer details. And it was really neat to to hear some of the significant points along the journey from the three different points of view. Like I remembered one thing a certain way, and then the other two may re- remember that exact same incident a different way. So trying to piece those three kind of points of view together, that was really interesting and, and fun. And so that's why I was asking because you know, you know you don't remember what you don't remember and I've got one of those brains like if I don't need it anymore, I'm shoving it in the attic. I may or may not pull it back down and visit, but yeah. I've got 
I need to make room all the time. Yeah, we talk about penguins on the iceberg. You can only put so many penguins on the iceberg. If you start putting more, somebody's going to fall off. And that's the way my brain feels most of the time. So people say, well, you don't remember such and such, or you don't remember this person. It may have been 10 years ago I saw this person or even did business. No, I'm sorry, I don't. And it's deliberate, and I know it's deliberate. I'm making room for other things that are of, of interest to me now, but... My brother passed away about a year and a half ago, and some of the last conversations that we were having were exactly what you're talking about. You know, we would be talking about different things that happened in our childhood or different ways of viewing the same event in our childhood, and whoa. I was like, what are you talking about? What in the world are you talking about? And we'd have to dig into it to see if, you know, I could remember it or he could remember what I was talking about. Some of it was pretty startling, what you save and what you don't save. So my point is, I'm so glad that you had you know, those videos and those pictures because now you've got this terrific story that will scare the bejeebers out of a lot of people when they start reading. Yeah. <laughs> but it well, you know, I found – yeah, no, I, I found that um, it was not only not only the three of us who actually performed the event, but – some of our very close friends that we had told the story to, they remembered some details that maybe I had told them 10 years ago uh, that they hung on to. So I was able to grab some of those as well. And then over the years, I've had two or three, two or three guys who were really close to us that, that weren't there with us but were really close to the story with us, and they had sent us some news clippings of maybe there was uh, one of the uh, – I think it was the Belarusian lady that had died – um, in one of the rivers, and they would send me the news clippings when the when the bus was removed from Alaska. Um, they sent me the news clippings on that. So, kind of keeping up with that and the chronology of it, and and the order of events and everything. It was it was really a, a collective effort of a lot of people. My wife, she filled in a lot of things. She goes, Oh no no no, you called me and told me da 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 da. And so it was really neat to kind of capture all that in an outline format, and then and then kind of fill it in with some fluffy, cool, pretty words. It's a wonderful book. It really is. Thank and you. let's go ahead and do a synopsis of the book because I'm realizing that some people are saying, okay, what was, where did he go? What was, what was, <laughs> tell us more. We've had him hanging there for so much. long, yeah. <laughs> yeah know. You know, let make the guy tell us what the book is about. Yeah. Uh, happily. So in, uh, in 2009, we, my, uh, I was active duty Air Force, we had gone to, um, Ileson Air Force Base outside of Fairbanks, Alaska. It's just southeast of, of Fairbanks. And we were up there for three weeks for a training exercise. And one of our squadron mates had been had lived in Alaska previously and thought it was a great idea to get the whole squadron together to go on this big um, salmon fishing trip. Well, as he briefed it up to the squadron and kind of put together the plan, the price kept going up and up and up. And it finally reached about $300 a head. And that's when me and two of my friends were we're kind of like, all right, that's a little too rich for our blood. I had lived in Alaska previously as well for four years. I've caught every species of salmon that Alaska had to offer. Uh, I just wasn't interested in that. So we decided we were going to go on a on a hike or a camping trip. And we decided to go to this bus that's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, just west of Healy, Alaska, just, just north of the Denali Mountain Range and Denali National Park. So the bus in and of itself it's it's really insignificant other than the fact that it was it was kind of it was put on a pedestal um chris mccandless 
1993, he had gone on an adventure, found the bus, and he ended up dying there due to a lot of different circumstances that I'm just not going to get into. But uh, that that journey, his journey, was made famous by John Krakauer's book, Into the Wild. And then Sean Penn made the book or made the movie Into the Wild in 2007. So that was kind of fresh on our brains. My wife had gotten me to read the book and, and watch the movie and whatnot. And we decided we were going to go try to find this bus. <clears throat> now, we knew that that the the journey out there, the hike out there, was kind of fraught with peril. But we thought that we did some pretty decent planning. Turns out that that's kind of a central theme of the book is either lack of planning or planning for the wrong things, you know, preparedness or lack thereof. And then as we made our journey from where we parked the car to the bus, there's a, a series of decisions that were made, and each one of those decisions could have sent us down a different path. So really there's, a, there's another theme of the book that goes, goes along that decision-making process and how do you weigh your inputs and come out with the best decision that you think at the time is going to work. And there's, some, there's definitely some folly involved for sure. I'm, I'm, you, you kind of alluded to it. There's some laugh-out-loud moments, and you go, why did they do that? Um, so anyways, we, we make it to the bus. Um, we'll talk about the pivot point of the, of the book here in just a second, but um, we make it out to the bus. We spent less than an hour there, and then we had to hike all the way back. So round trip, it was a, somewhere between 40 and 50 miles. Now, one of the things that, one of the things that um, was really driving us and motivating us to hustle along a little bit faster was we had a very strict timeline. We had to be back in Fairbanks by 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon to do mission planning for Monday's missions that we were going out to fly. We couldn't leave Friday night until about midnight because one of the guys that was going with us was on night shift. So between midnight Friday night and 4 o'clock Sunday, that was our, our time window to hike somewhere around 40 to, 40 to 50 miles. So you can see where we start to get jammed, and, and there's some decisions that are made in there. And I don't want to say hastily, but we probably could have took our time and made some better decisions. But we ended up making it, and, uh, and here we are living to tell the tale later. Okay, you can't stop there. keep on going because I mean now you've told us and I do want people to read the book it's a terrific book but what were so well let me just go here what were one or two of the decisions that you made that you kind of wish you'd said let's take five minutes Um, for sure crossing the big river so there were two major river crossings that we had to do. The first one ended up kind of being a non-event other than we were standing on the beach of this river and I was I was confident, I was probably false confident, uh, overconfident that we were on the right path and the other two guys were convinced that we were lost and I've got this great video uh, of me kind of panning around looking at the scenery and commenting on the river and the and the trees and how beautiful it was. And then I pan over to the other two guys and they're hunched over the map trying to figure out where we are. And that was a little bit of comedy and uh, mixed in. But uh, I think crossing the second river was one of those big decision points. Um, The other, probably the more significant than that was on the journey home, 
So we left the bus from, from the river, the major river crossing to the bus was 10 miles. And obviously we had to walk that back. And that whole time it was pouring down rain. And I had to figure out in my mind, I had to figure out how are we going to cross this river going back? When we crossed it going west towards the bus, the river eddies, the, the way that it flowed and swirled, it helped us out. It kind of kicked us out in, in a way that we were able to grab the far bank and pull ourselves out to, to safety. On the way coming home towards the east, it was going to work against us. And so I'm, I'm trying to go through this in my mind and solve this problem. And I came up with a plan, and I really, I really wish that I had maybe thought that through a little bit more. When it came to the decision when it came time to execute the decision that we had made, uh, I wasn't 100% confident it was going to work, and I very easily could have ended up as a statistic just like some of the other people uh, that have tried to, tried to cross that river or, or make that trip. Um, looking back on it, I don't know if I would have done it the same way. I'll let the readers kind of go through the book and, and see where that decision point was and what that decision the, – the specifics of it, but I think uh, – I think that could have been a little bit better. Now, now keep in mind, too, that we had been going on no sleep, no food for somewhere around 30 miles when this happened, and there was some delirium uh, that was mixed in. Uh, I think one of the guys that was walking with us, he was seeing Bigfoot out in the woods. One of the guys, uh, the other guy, he was seeing um, stop signs as if the woods were just telling him to stop and just give in and let Alaska have you. Um, so there was there was definitely some some delirium that was mixed in, making it very very hard to focus on what's the problem, solve the problem, make a decision, execute the decision. So I think I think going back, I maybe would have liked to have just sat next to a tree and thought that one out a little bit more. That makes sense. And you know, when I first started reading this book, Alaska, you always think it's cold, it's snowing, it's you know, I pictured you guys having to haul a whole bunch of equipment, you know, warming equipment, ski clothes, whatever it was. I no. had this picture in my head. <laughs> and then I get to the picture part of the book and went, they're wearing shorts. That's just wrong. It ruined my whole thing. Yeah. That you well, guys are so, wearing, you know, cargo cargo shorts and long sleeve yeah. shirts. You look very casual with a, a backpack or two and that's it. Yeah, some of those pictures were taken, you know, mid-morning, late morning, and the sun was up, and it was kind of warm. But when we started, we started hiking at between 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning, and it was, it was right at 40 degrees when we started. So, it, I mean, it was cold. Um, see your breath kind of cold. And that was, you know, go back to this whole decision-making and, and uh, kind of where these things started to go off the tracks. Within a mile of the hike, we had a decision to make of how wet are we willing to get our feet you know, anybody that's going on a hike of any significant distance knows the importance of keeping your feet dry and comfortable. And within a mile, we had to make that decision, and we ended up just going for it. And now our feet were soaked for the next, I don't know, 30 hours or so. That part kind of sucked. Did you get frostbite, any of you? No, no, I don't think so. Or I mean, I, I, think the, oh. I think the closest that we got was um, on the way back. So we end up crossing back across the big river. It was probably around midnight or so, uh, between 10 and, and midnight on Saturday night. And it had rained. It had been raining for about two or three hours. And that river is fed from a glacier way up in the Denali mountain range. So the water's freezing cold already. And then add to the fact that we were soaking wet. 
when I got across the river, I was the first one across the river. The, the, the plan kind of hinged on me getting across first and then tying off a rope for the other two. I got across, I tied off the rope, they tied off their end. I made sure it was nice and tight. We got the two guys across and now here we are, all three of us on the east bank of the river with nothing but 10 miles between us and the car. And that's when I think I was the most hyperthermic at that point. My, I was shaking, like uncontrollably shaking. I got the, um, my teeth were chattering. My, my hands were all but un, unusable. I don't know if I could have started a fire at that point if I really wanted to. I don't know what the other guys were feeling because at that point I was just, I was so in, in my own head. Uh, and I definitely don't want to speak for them, but I think we were all kind of in a bad way right there. And, and there was that, that intervention from that outside source, that unexpected encounter that uh, I think that that really saved our lives. Th those, those guys that we met, they'll never know exactly what impact they had on us at that moment. Well, let's hope they read the book or are told of the book and they can figure that out. I hope so. Um, I, I hope that some way they can get it. I, I don't know their names. Yeah. I don't know where they live. I don't know anything about them other than they really helped us out that day. You know, people show up when they're supposed to show up, don't they? That's right. Okay, so let's winning the battle of the wills. What did you mean? You said that to me during our pre-interview. Where were you going with that? Yeah, so I talked about earlier, just, just a few seconds ago, I talked about the delirium that was involved and um to go out on a on a 40 mile hike that's not an insignificant event especially when you add in the fact that there are some obstacles involved um we did not we we didn't take hardly any food we had uh, a single point of failure for our hydration was i had a a water filter that i could drop it into a mud hole and filter out the water so, I mean, you could definitely make the argument that we were unprepared for a hike of this magnitude. Well, after a while, even with all that, after a while, it becomes very monotonous. And, it, and you just have to kind of sink into your own self and tell yourself, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Keep moving forward. As bad as it hurts, as tired as you are, as hungry as you are, you just have to keep moving forward. And, and now I take that. Even at the end of the book, I kind of take that as a metaphor into your daily lives or, or you know, as the days, weeks, years progress. There's, there's a lot of that where you get into this grind, and, I, and one of the things that I talk about in the last chapter is some of the, my keys to success just on an everyday basis is keep chopping wood. And some days, some days you just have to chop wood, and nobody likes chopping wood, but you got to do it. And, and if you do it long enough, you look over and you see this nice big wood pile, and you can be proud of that. It's like you know going to college or you know setting off on a ten-year uh, venture, uh, an entrepreneurial venture, or a career or whatever. Some days those get monotonous; it becomes a grind, and, and you just have to find that that inner grit and that determination to go left foot, right foot. And that's what I meant when I say the battle of wills. It's really internal to yourself. And you have to silence your inner quitter and find that champion inside of you to just keep going. I like that. Silence your inner quitter. My inner quitter and I are going to have a talk in about 35 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I already know what I'm going to say to her, too. <laughs> so Good. When, 
when you're talking, we, we've been talking about planning and decision-making, so I'm guessing part of the goal-setting with this, I just want to know why y'all did this, what goal were you setting out to, to accomplish by, by taking this hike? I mean, I'm glad you did it. It's a phenomenal story. I mean, just It's a beautifully written story, so if anybody listening, seriously, grab it. It's an easy read. Have your hanky. Well, have some Tums, you know, honestly, because you will be gripping your stomach at some point, multiple points. And don't read it in an airport. You might be screaming, what the heck? <laughs> so maybe don't read it around a bunch of other people. But why Why did y'all go on this hike? I mean, it's a big deal. You said you didn't particularly plan it brilliantly, but you got through it. So, so the planning worked. But why did you do it? Well, this is this is super anticlimactic, and and it's it's going to kind of burst your bubble a little bit. But we just needed a destination. That's all. And I I think I put that in one of the opening chapters about kind of the why behind why we went out there and did this is we just needed a destination. It could have been a pub downtown or you know a local hike or you know let's go sit by the lake for a little bit or whatever. But the idea of setting a destination. And damn the torpedoes, no matter what is in between me and that destination, I'm going to reach my destination. Back to that kind of determinism and the process of reaching a goal. A lot of times it just comes down to how much pain are you willing to endure and how important is that goal to you. And I wouldn't classify three of us that that were on this high. I wouldn't classify any of us that quitters. So when we set our mind to something, well, that's just what it's going to be. And here we go. Um, I lost you. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. You broke up and just kind of went away. I am on page 163. It's champions. And it's talking about exactly what you were just describing. The difference between a champion and anyone else is an outright refusal to lose or give up when you really want to. Rather than asking, why did this happen to me? Champions will ask, how can I make this work for me? And I yeah. think that's what we were just talking about. Yeah, if I cut out, then that's that's really the best summation probably uh, of what I was talking about is um, you look at – you know, I, I, I'm a sports guy. I, I look at sports, and I look at, at some of these – the different champion athletes and what sets them apart from other people and, and why some people rise to, a top, to the top of their game and, and other people are just content with being – I don't want to say mediocre, but, you know, just kind of going with it. And I think it's, I think it's a lot of that mentality, just that, that inner drive to, to overcome whatever it is that's put in front of you. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's just a barrier. And if you work hard enough, you can find a way to knock down that barrier and keep moving and take one more step. And if you can take one more step, then that means you can take one more step. And if you put together enough of those, then you can reach your destination. Right. And we're talking a lot about mindset here. I mean, I would think in the service when you go into different, you know, Army, Navy, it doesn't matter. I, and I'm just guessing. This is me just kind of throwing something out there out of my tiny little brain. But I have seen a lot of kids go into the service and, oh, geez, you wouldn't want them bagging your, your groceries. I mean, really. They're lethargic. They're just not, you know, they don't have the characteristics that you've been describing but a lot of times they come home with them. So it can be taught, can't it? 
I believe so. I really do. I, now, there's there's obviously going to be the you know the one percenters who are just kind of I don't want to say born with it, but it's innate to them. It's part of their DNA. And then there's other people who kind of develop it over time. And I, I think that's probably more common than anything. And, and now step back for a second. And I'm not a professional in any of this. This is just my observations as I've gone through my own life and my own experiences. And I mean, I've had some I've had some pretty cool opportunities to exercise this. Um, for example, uh, just on Sunday, I got a wild hair last week, and I decided on Sunday I was going to go run a half marathon through the mountains out here in Phoenix. It was uh, sponsored by Xterra, and I've, I've never done a half marathon. The most I've run in about ten years is six miles, and that was last week, just to see if I could do it. So, you know, I think there's, there's some of us, the more common people or the more common mindset is it's developed over time rather than part of your DNA. And, and I believe, I really do believe that some of it is a skill that you learn that go back to the inner quitter that I was talking about. You, you have to kind of develop that, that mindset and that skill of being able to silence that person inside of you that's telling you, oh man, don't you don't need to go run 13 miles. That's a really long ways. Plus, I mean, it's all uphill and your legs are going to hurt. That's really going to suck. You don't want to go do that. You got to learn to silence that guy and, and instead look to the, to the other guy and say, the other guy's telling you, hey, man, it might be a really cool experience and you'll find out a little bit about yourself. So go give it a shot. You know, so I do, I, I think there's an element of, of learning and skill development there to help you get to that mindset for sure. I think so too. I mean, I've experienced, you know, very similar times in my life where I think I don't want to do that. I went back to school, got a computer science degree. That was not easy. It really wasn't. And you know, just going back to school all by itself had me going because I hated school. I really hated it. But once I got out of my own way, and that's what had to happen. I had to have some serious talks with myself in the parking lot. I said, well how can I make this work? You know, how can I get over this exhaustion because I was working full-time and going to school full-time. I was tired. And then trying to, you know, pick up your learning brain when you haven't really activated that part of you in a long time. It's like, boy, my inner critic just had a good old time for about 42 hours. And then I told him to sit down and shut up. And that person inside of you will talk you out of so many things. It'll talk you out of this morning I woke up and I knew I had this podcast coming up in an hour or so, and I was sitting here in my room, and I was like, well, I could either sit here and wait for an hour or I can put my shoes on and get out for a walk. And my inner quitter said, hey, but, man, it's really cold outside. It's like 43 degrees. You don't need to go for this. But then the other guy, the champion inside, says, hey, uh, but you know what? You get your juices flowing. You'll feel great when you come back, and you'll be able to – really have a great conversation with Denise if you go. So I strapped it on and I went. And yeah, it was cold and it kind of sucked. But I'm better off for it. I've already got my exercise for the day out of the way now. And the whole day is just opened up for me. So it's those little victories. It's those little small victories yeah. that you have inside your mind. And and one of the things that I like to teach is if you can, if you can string together a couple little small victories, and it may just be something as simple as wake up five minutes earlier or – Shave down your morning routine by one minute. Make it a little more efficient. If you can string enough of those small victories together, well, guess what? That creates momentum. 
And when you get momentum and you start to win a little bit more and a little bit more every day, that winning feels good, and it becomes a drug, and you become addicted to it, and you want to win more. And so how do you win more? Well, you work your ass off. That's how you do it. You start working a little bit harder, and you start aiming for more audacious goals. And that momentum and that discipline to, to capitalize on that momentum and take that next step, that's what's going to get you to those audacious, audacious goals. So it's, it's really like rolling a pebble down the hill and just watching it grow. Absolutely. And another thing, while you're talking, you know, I was realizing that I do this a lot. I use index cards a lot. And I use my shredder a lot. And I will, I'm one of those people, if I'm going to do something, I want to sit down, get it done, cross it off of my, my list on yeah. my index card because I can shred those. And I want to be able to see it. I need to physically be able to say, okay, I've got that one done. Woo-hoo. I don't want to keep a running list on, on a journal or on a paper, anything, because I have to keep going back to it. But I can grab those little cards that have three things on each one. And at the end of the day, those card, mostly I just have three cards, three things on each one. I like things in threes. And almost always, all three of those are crossed over. There's been little notes. But I can have a little, I, I see them. I say, oh, I did that, I did that. Oh, yeah. good, 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 good. Then I shred it because now it's done. Yeah, and I shred exactly. It kind of, it's one of those cathartic things. You know, I hear that crunch, 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 and off it goes, and I'm done. I did it. It is, and, and, and you hit something right there. I think the visualization of those those daily goals and those daily daily motivators. I think that's super important. I use a whiteboard. I have a whiteboard back here in my room, and I've got it placed so that I can see it from any point in the room. No matter where I'm sitting, I can see this whiteboard. And I log things in colors on that. So I have a, a set of dry erase pens that are all different colors, and I'll log things. And, and things that I didn't accomplish, like if I – if I wasn't able to get my exercise in for a day or if I wasn't able to make that phone call or something like that, I log that in red. And the more red that I see on my board, the more pissed off I get. And that motivates me to do better the next day. So your visualization technique that you use, I think is, and it's satisfying too, isn't it? It's satisfying when you yeah. shred that little, when you shred that, you, you feel accomplished. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm talking about when I say stringing together these little victories. It's that feeling. And you want more of that, so you're motivated to do it again the next day, and, and, and that's how you create momentum, and, and you end up being a champion. And you're changing those you know, poor, bad-to-poor habits to something that says, that was fun. And I go a step further. I use color-coded uh, index cards. So you know, they're all in bright colors. There's pink, there's green, there's yeah. – you know, and they have different, different things go on different cards. So I know at any moment – what I'm looking for and what card it's going to be on. And being, you know, a web developer and pretty logical most days, I go, okay, this, okay, that one's going to have to go over here. And I'm not scrambling around trying to figure out what the heck it is that I'm supposed to do. But at the end of it, yes, it's very cathartic. Shred it. Good job. Yeah, and you start the next day with a blank slate. What what I would say is, you know, if I had a, a challenge for your listeners, I would say, um, develop a technique like you use index cards. I use a whiteboard. Some people use journals or a to-do list on the refrigerator, whatever it is, but really be disciplined about it and try it for, I don't know, two or three months and try to stick to it for two or three months and make that, 
make that become a habit for you, and you'll find exactly what you're talking about. You'll find that the reward that you give yourself at the end of the day is erasing the to-do list, and that feels really good. When you go and you look at yourself in the mirror at night, after you've erased your to-do list, after you've shredded your index cards, after you've logged it on your accountability board in your room, when you go look at yourself in the mirror, now you can look at yourself and go, you know what? I did everything I was supposed to do today. I was a good person. I feel good about it. And you sleep good. You, you get up the next morning ready to do it again. This is, this is all just becoming a better version of yourself. So that would be my challenge for anyone who maybe is listening out there is develop some of these techniques. The Internet is littered with different techniques. Find one, pick one that works for you, and, and go for it. Exactly. And, you know, listen, I am – a huge user of the internet. In fact, I'm convinced that God made it for me. It's mine. I just you know, <laughs> use it. <laughs> mine, mine, mine. And you know, I mean, the internet to me is magic. I stay away from the garbage part of it as best as I can, but it's magic and you can connect with people like you and I are connecting. Yeah. You can find information. If you don't have a computer, go to the library. I mean, just do what you can to get online or talk with talk with a librarian. Librarians are some of the the best. I don't know if you want if you have questions, ask a librarian. Seriously, yeah. they're going to know. They're very educated about a lot of things. So, yeah, and I love that we're talking about planning a decision making goal. But I've got to go back to the book. I just kind of interrupted myself. Okay. You're talking the Alaska moose, which I you're talking you know that they're seven feet way over a thousand pounds and your wife called in late to work one day when you were you lived in Anchorage because there was a moose laying in your her yard her yard next yep. to her cat and the the hospital understood and didn't yell at her to come to oh, work. Yeah, that's <laughs> so. yeah, they so it was kind of a joke. Um when I lived up I lived in Anchorage for a little over four years and one of the running jokes was uh, I asked a guy, "When do you? Uh, where's a good place to go moose hunting around here?" And he goes, "Oh, downtown Anchorage, because in moose hunting season, all the moose seem to come into downtown, and they just kind of hang out." I, I've seen a moose. I, I think I wrote this in the book too. I, I've seen a moose. No kidding. Walk up to a four-way stop sign in the middle of Anchorage. It's four lanes everywhere. Four-way stop sign or a, a, a red light. He stopped, waited for the little walk. Uh, sign, the little white dude that flashes at you across the way. He waited for that, crossed the street into the bank parking lot, and started eating their bushes. True stories. My wife got up to go to work one day. She was a nurse there at uh, one of the hospitals in Anchorage, and she goes to to go out to her car, and when she opened the door, she saw a moose laying right there in the snow, not 10 feet away from her car. She closed the door, went back inside, called the hospital, and they said, yeah, just come in whenever. Totally get it. We have something similar here. People will laugh and say, well, if it rains, you're going to get an alligator in your driveway. It happens. You know, yeah. it's after a hurricane, you don't know where you're going to find an alligator. So just kind of be careful out there. I, in my my neighborhood, we had one that was sitting across the street, directly across the street. And I went outside. I don't. I think I was going out to retrieve my trash can, which was floating down the road. And... <clears> uh, <throat> I looked at him and I looked at the trash can. I said, "I'll just pay the twenty-five bucks to replace it." And I went yeah. back in the house. <laughs> Cut I your losses. Yeah, they're fast. <laughs> they're really fast. There's that that you have that instant um, you have that instant battle with yourself about risk versus reward, and you you very quickly understand that it's just not worth it and go back inside. It was a trash can. I could do without it. <laughs> exactly. 
But it's interesting you know, where you live and the things that you get to see. But this book is so beautifully written that I enjoyed the the whimsical parts of it. And then the, oh, these guys are nuts parts. I really enjoyed those too, which probably says more about me than it should. <laughs> but anyway, well, listen, before, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say thank you for the compliment. I, I really appreciate that. It's a great book. I really hope people will pick it up. Tell people before I let you go, where can they find you and where can they find the book? Yeah, so um, the book is available on Amazon, and uh, you can get to that. You can just type it into the search bar. Yeah, I just actually Googled it, and it pops right up on Google. It actually uh, – if you go to Amazon and, and start typing in no new lessons, it will pop right up. It's uh, the first one on the list. You can go to my website, www.oneof5project.com, and that's the number one and the number five, project.com. And I have links to the book there. It'll take you to Amazon where you can order it uh, from there as well. Okay, before I let you go, tell us about the project. What is it that you're doing over there? Uh, The One of Five Project was started from the idea – Jim Rohn had a quote back back a few years ago that said, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I decided to take a look at it from a different point of view where if you're one of those five people, how am I going to raise everybody's average around me? So it's, oh. it's all about it, – yeah, it's all about being a better individual and letting that inspire change in other people. So it's really an individual journey and hoping that that catches fire to people. Our, our mission statement is improve, ignite, inspire, and that's, that's really just what we want to do. Uh, I got a program that's uh, that's going to be coming out here hopefully within the next month under the One of Five Project. It's the Work Hard, Don't Suck program, and that too is all about just being a better version of yourself through hard work on yourself, introspection, and and self improvement. And then the idea of don't suck is just try to be a better person every day. If you can make a little bit of progress every single day, then people start to notice that stuff. It inspires other people to change. I've seen it in my own life. Other people have inspired me. It works. It's contagious. It does. Paul, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been wonderful speaking with you. And I thank you for all the terrific tips and the advice and the stories that you've shared with our audience. And thank you for sending me your book. I'm going to review it on Amazon in the next couple of days. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcast. Honestly, you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your part in Success Radio. So find us and take us along on your success journey. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you, Denise. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 